Hey, hello, everybody. I'm your host, Felipe. You're listening to the Total Basis Podcast. Uh, with me, as always, is Sean Flannery. And Sean, before I get to you, uh, as he waves goodbye or hello to everybody <laughs> else uh, watching on video. And we are on video live here on Facebook. Catch us every Sunday morning uh, at the Baseball Live Facebook group. But before I get to Sean, I'd like to welcome a special guest, uh, Jameis Mooney. Did I say your name correctly, Jameis? Yes, sir, you did. It's perfect. Beautiful. Awesome. And uh, Jameis, the reason I bring you in is because we're going to talk about six teams, and one of them includes the Tampa Bay Rays, who last I checked, you were a big fan of. Is that correct? Um, yes, sir. I've been a Rays fan. Well, I'm from Tampa. Okay. Um, I first started watching baseball when they were losing a couple hundred or so games a year, but Carl Crawford was a god, so <laughs> I, I loved it. Uh, and-, and then... 2008, when I was seven at the time, was when I really got into it. That team with him, Pena, Rocco Baldelli, uh, Aki Iwamura was my guy. Jason Bartlett was solid for a few years there. There's a name you didn't think you'd hear today. No, I did not. Uh, and then I've been covering them as a writer. Well, I've been covering all of baseball as a writer since 2015. Yeah, it sounds about right, because my first article was on John Smoltz the day he went into the Hall of Fame, yes. which is 2015. So 2015 is the right time frame. And uh, which uh, publication do you write for, uh, Jameis? I currently write for Pro Sports Extra. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last one, I think the last one I saw that you, that you posted in the Baseball Life group was about the Hall of Fame. Is that correct? Or is that been, has it been um, recent ones? More recent than that. I recently did a piece on the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. regarding um, an inter- one interesting statistic that yeah. blows my mind because what I did that for was every once in a while you'll see a statistic regarding um, Tony Gwynn or somebody like that that is really cool, but there's stats like that for every Hall of Famer. Yeah. And so I wanted to give somebody like Wade Boggs a lot more love because Wade Boggs is another former way. Yeah. And 80, from July of 85 to July of 86, played in 162 games and hit 401. Oh, jeez. But that's because crazy. it's across the season. I think that's kind of good, right? <laughs> all right, I guess. It's pedestrian. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the moment, uh, it's funny you mentioned Wade Boggs, if I may intervene. Um, I did ha- I did set up a poll in Baseball Life the last uh, yesterday. I had four different polls, and I just listed. Who's the best player on this list? And Adrian Beltre was the best player on that list, by the yeah. way. Wade Boggs is second and a distant second at this point. I think I'm going to call it soon. I think Adrian Beltre wins that one. So it was Adrian Beltre, yeah. Wade Boggs, John Smoltz, who just, you just mentioned. Jeff Bagley, That's who I voted Martin, for. Yeah. You voted for John Smoltz? I voted for Smoltz. The other was Mussina, right? Mussina, yeah. Who I kind of voted just in case I needed to break ties here. So <laughs> all, of them, all of them were um, great, incredible ball players. My one issue is I have um, – I kind of question voting for somebody like Smoltz because as he only impacted the game five days out of the week. And I'm a big no. Braves fan because my family were Braves fans before the race had a team. Well, so nobody's I up, perfect. <laughs> I grew up in a big baseball household. My favorite player of all time is Tom Glavin. So, like, that era of the Braves mm-hmm. is peak for me. <clears throat> um. I love John Smoltz, but he only impacted the game once every five days yeah. until he got older and they had him 
moved to become the closer. Yeah, after Tommy John surgery. Yeah. After Tommy John to limit his workload, whereas players such as Adrian Beltre were still in were impacting the game every day and getting better well into their thirties. And uh, Sean, if, if I may get your thoughts on that, uh, I'm noticing that pitchers do not get any love. I uh, last year I tried to separate pitchers and hitters, but this year I wanted to just combine them. And it seems like pitchers do not get any love whatsoever in these polls. Is that how you see it too, or am I? I I do think there is a little bit of hitter bias. Uh, I voted for Smoltz because I think uh, it, it's it's a really tough one because I really do like Adrian Beltre and he was a great player. Uh, but Smoltz was one of those guys where I think when compared with his peers of fellow starting pitchers, I, I feel like he's just a little bit higher in that ranking than Beltre in the third base one. It's it's very close, though. It was a hard pull, and it basically just yeah. came down to those two guys. Um, I if, if I may Go ahead. refute that a little bit, I kind of disagree in a sense because I think – I don't think he was the second best starting pitcher on his team for seven years there. Oh, jeez. Um, because well, obviously when it's Glavin and Maddox, you yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. it's kind of hard to be the second best pitcher on the team. <laughs> so that's not really a knock on him. And then there were other pitchers around the league, just as era, Randy Johnson, yeah, Pedro Martinez, guys of that caliber. I mean, 97, 98, when Smoltz was performing his best, there was a pitcher in Toronto winning two triple crowns back-to-back. So, in regards to Beltre, I was kind of iffy voting Beltre, too, because I feel like Beltre didn't really become that player for more than seven or eight years. Like, if when I think of Dodgers, Red Sox, Mariners... Mm -hmm. He's a good, not great player. But because of how great he was as a Ranger later on, he became a Hall of Fame top five third baseman of all time. Oh, all time. Wow. I mean, wow. That's lofty. That's That's lofty. Kevin Lofton or Kenny Lofton. I don't think he's better than a Mike Schmidt or Scott Rowland or Brooks Robinson in regards to defense. And you got but he's up there defensively. Yeah. And he had 3,000 hits and 400 something home runs. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, he's definitely because of what he did with, as you mentioned with the Rangers, he now has a, a good argument. But uh, I mean, in the history of the game, since I mean, you got to, first of all, you got to be specific. If you're talking all the way from 1900 to modern times, uh, that's a lot of third basemen to go through. I'm just saying, but that's a different topic for another show. And there's show. only 12 of them in the Hall of Fame. Of course, I'm not counting a Paul Molitor who played third base but wasn't a third baseman. <laughs> yeah, you he's know? not considered a designated hitter at this point. Yeah, uh, he played more than half his games there. But there's only 12 players elected as a third baseman in the Hall of Fame. I did which, not know that. Didn't which know is that. by far the least, which is why I would like to see guys like Keith Hernandez get in on a committee to try and show the position more. Yeah. A more of a representation of the best players at the position because it's really low. That's amazing. I didn't know there was only 12 third basemen. Sean, did you it's, know that? I, I did not know. That's mind blowing. So yeah, that blew my mind the other day when I was researching. So, I, so the argument of third baseman, because a lot of them change positions, like Cal Rifkin, the, the years he was at third base. Yeah was a great third baseman, but he's a shortstop. No, no, that's true. Yeah. 
Well, interesting stuff. That's a different conversation for another time. I didn't, I didn't mean to get off topic, but it, I'm James sorry, obviously, I no, no. It, I mean, it, it just happened that it delves well with the uh, article that you wrote recently, or the one yeah. that I saw from, I believe, December talking about the Hall of Fame. No, but let's get back to modern times, 2021. It was last <laughs> week. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking December. You're no, good. You're right. um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So we brought in Jameis because he's a race fan. We're talking about modern baseball and members of modern baseball. But we're, yeah. ta- we're talking about uh, <laughs> six teams here. Rays, Pirates, Royals, Reds, Blue Jays, and Twins. And let's – oh, uh, Sean, you got to let me, uh, you gotta let me uh, share my screen here. Uh, uh, also, I should preface this with I started – choosing players extremely late so yeah. you don't really see yeah. me uh, like choosing with them until the pitching starts yes uh utility actually i think we let you uh, have a middle infield yeah. at the first pick and you pick willie adams but we'll get to him in a little bit let's start a catcher as uh, we did this last year sean where we pick players from a select few teams and then we just try to create the best lineup we can this year we went a different route we're drafting so there's about how many players in here? There's I think I counted 60 players that we that we can go through, but I'll try to there's try to 22 make it... on each team, so it'd be 66. No, there's only 20. Oh, it's not sorry, 20, 10, that... 60. Yeah, I'd that'd be 60. You. I got you, man. I got you. So uh, yeah, uh, it's 60 players. We only have like maybe what, maybe an hour or so, maybe a little bit afterwards. So we'll try to go as rapidly as we can. But at catcher, it was Mitch Garber, who uh, Jameis picked um right well after Sean and I made our picks, but Technically, the first pick in this mini draft was Salvador Perez because we we're going in order. So catcher, first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, third base. We're going in order down like this, right? Yeah, I'm highlighting it. So I picked Salvador Perez, and he went goes with Alexander Kirk. Since everybody knows who Salvador Perez is, who by the way, Sean, you'll be happy to know that if you look at the consensus rankings over at the Fantasy Pros as of yesterday. He's the number one catcher in all of baseball. Blah, is, blah, blah, blah. It blew my mind because the whole time it was, <laughs> hold on, the whole time it was JT Real Muto. And then I finally flip it over to catcher last night, just out of curiosity. And it's now Salvador Perez. I'm like, whoa. Which is good. He he had a great 20. I, I'll give him that. I'm not, I mean, he had what, like a 400 Babbitt or something like that. I mean, he runs like a three footed rhinoceros. Like, he, he's just not fast. Well, the most it, important thing about Salvador Perez, as you know, Sean, is that he's there every day. Yeah. <laughs> and he hits, but he was hitting bombs in 2022. Yeah. yeah he, like, he, it doesn't matter how fast you run if you can spend 45 seconds running across the bases. Just ask Bartolo Colon. Exactly. <laughs> man, my first favorite pitcher was James Shields since we mentioned the 2008 <laughs> race. Like, James Shields was my dude growing up. He ruined that man's <laughs> career. <laughs> yeah, and that's what he's remembered for. It makes me sad. Yeah. Uh, but you, Sean, went with uh, Alexander Kirk, the 5'9", 220. He can't be faster than Salvador Perez, so why'd you pick him then? Uh, he actually, thank you very much. He had uh, five uh, career minor league steals, zero caught stealings, and one of those <laughs> stolen bases was of home. So Speed. don't you be hating. He is a, a the pride of Tijuana, Mexico. In the minor leagues, he batted 315 with an on base of 418, 500 slugging. And then in his first, you know, little dabble in the major leagues, he played in nine games, got 25 plate appearances. What did he do? Oh, he did nothing big, just batted 375 with a couple of doubles and a home run. I mean, right now he's looking at battling time with guys like Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire. 
And with the acquisitions of George Springer, Marcus Simeon, uh, the DH spot just got really crowded because I'm sure they're going to use that a lot to keep guys like Springer healthy, yeah. you know, move Grichik in and out of the outfield into the DH. So DH at bats for Kirk are going to be hard to find. But if he hits like that, he should be starting at catcher. Um, of course, we know catchers don't play 140 games seasons anymore unless your name's Salvador Perez or JT Real Muto. Um, but I, I really like Kirk. I almost went with Tyler Stevenson here, but I just mm-hmm. do not trust the Reds to get him playing time. And speaking of playing time, uh, Jameis, uh, I think by the fall, he probably saw that all the good catchers were picked and went with Mitch Garver, who uh, has last never I... played more than 102 games. Yep. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, I mean, he's listed as the backup to Ryan Jeffers. Uh, Jameis, how comfortable do you feel about Mitch Garver as you're starting? I actually game? think he's going to – Jeffers isn't um, going – Jeffers isn't going to be very good, and Garver's going to rake again. Garver's okay. only a year removed from – in 93 games, hitting 31 home runs. Yeah. That's a home run every three games. <laughs> uh, uh, Sean, do you believe in the Mitch Garver hype, or is he I- – uh, I I didn't believe in the hype last year. The price was too high to actually pay. I mean, all of the peripherals to back it up were there, um, but it was a very steep price, one that I just personally was not willing to pay. And going forward this year, I do think he's going to split a lot of time with Jeffers. And I I, I like Jeffers a little bit more than our guest here. Um, But if Garver can even get to about – half of what 2019 was he's going to be a top fantasy catcher interesting let's move on to first base uh because we have a lot of players to go through uh sean then turns around gets vladimir guerrero jr who this is my reaction sean if you can see me right now (laughs) roll like massive eye rolls that vladimir guerrero jr is now a first base i mean he's going to be a first baseman from all intents and purposes for this uh, blue jays team but from a fantasy standpoint he doesn't qualify but i'll give it to him and uh (laughs) And, Felipe uh, was like uh, Dr. Chang from Community. I'll allow it. <laughs> I'll allow it. We just got to get through this, right? So Black Guerrero uh, at first base. We all know who Black Guerrero is. Uh, he's the son of a Hall of Famer. Miguel Sano, I immediately pick him up as my first baseman because, I mean, first base, I don't know, Sean. Let me talk to you about these other first basemen. And as you can see, uh, Jameis got Carlos Santana because he probably thought the same thing. Uh, among these six teams, right, there's not a lot of good uh, – what you would call it like i almost went a, with the g-man appealing first baseman oh a, a g-man choice yeah uh, but sean uh, wait, did you see it the same way as i did that there's not a lot of appealing first baseman with these well teams? i completely forgot about carlos santana uh who Jameis ended up going and you know drafting essentially uh i wanted to pick somebody from the rays somebody like yandy diaz who i ended up filling in my util spot but there's so many of those first base mold guys in tampa that they're going to split time and it's going to be the death of my sanity. Um, the Pirates really had no one, you know, oh, Colin Moran, I think, is slated to be their first baseman. You have him on your roster. Yeah. Uh, Joey Votto was kind of, you know, I didn't want to be, he's the guy. Uh, but Vlad, I think, his for his career, I mean, he's a 107 WRC+, plus, which is good, but not very good or even great. Meanwhile, he's still projected to be great by just about every projection system there is that's quality. I mean, you're talking about projected WRC pluses of 129, 127, 134, 136. That's elite-level type production. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is the year they get him off of third base. He doesn't have to worry about it. He doesn't have to struggle in the field. You just 
put him at first base or DH and let him rake. And I'm excited to see what he can do. He still hits the ball insanely hard. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really whiff. Uh, He doesn't strike out. It's just a matter of lifting the ball, which I have several guys on this team who hit the ball really hard, but had issues or have had issues lifting the ball. And I went with Miguel Sano. Like I said, I didn't see as many good first. But like I saw Joey Votto. I'm like, no, nah, no, thank you. I'm I'm done with him. And <laughs> Miguel Sano, uh, big strikeouts, but me, I just think about big power as well. So I went with him. And obviously, Jameis. I think he lucked out pretty well with Carlos Santana. Um, yeah, I, that, I thought that was a great pick. I was like, oh crap, I forgot he's on the Royals. I almost went with Joey Votto because I like I like having a guy who can hit bombs and walk without striking out much. Yeah, but he's at an age where that's going to deteriorate. Yeah, uh, he's been showing signs of deteriorating. Hall of Fame first baseman, but Carlos Santana basically does the same thing. Yeah. Carlos Santana had an awful 2020, but he only struck out 43 times and is, but walked a league leading 47 times. Oh, so wow. he's despite hitting under 200. His on-base percentage was 349. Yeah. Carlos Santana's a must-have in OBP leagues. He just yep. – that skill is never going to go away. Just how Joey Votto is much more palatable in an OBP league, Carlos Santana's the same old. I thought that was, like I said, a great pick. He totally skipped my mind that he's on the Royals now. <laughs> uh, let's move on to second base, and we get to a player uh, that Jameis is probably more familiar uh, more familiar than any of us. Well, except for Sean because he did uh, do the Montgomery Biscuits for a while there. But Brandon, oh God, Brandon Lau. There you go. (laughs) I I always try. Nate Lowe, Brandon Lau, Josh Lau. Yeah, good thing is Nate Lowe is Nate Lowe isn't there anymore. So big brother got traded. Josh Lowe, yeah, ready to go. Yep, I I can't wait. He's my remember. He was my pick to click uh, when we did the prospects. But let's talk about Brandon Lau. Uh, I know that you picked uh, last, so to speak, here, Jameis. But uh, what what can you tell us about Brandon Lau for this upcoming season? Um. And by August 20th, which was for at least the 2020 purposes, Brandon Lau had been the best player in baseball up to that point. He was fourth in home runs, but at the time, August 20th, first in OPS, playing all over, playing stellar defense all around the diamond, leading the league in bat, on all three slash nine categories at the time in the American League. Now, he had a rude awakening the rest of the way, which mm. really evened out his um, slash. But he's still only a year removed from a really good all-star campaign where in only 82 games, he hit 17 home runs from a middle infielder. As a second baseman, if he plays a 162 that year, he's on pace for just about 35 home runs. And he was hitting 270. Wow. He gets on base at a really good clip. He strikes out a little too much for my liking, but that's going to be every player in 2021. 20, yeah. Uh, that's just the way the game has evolved. Yeah. He, um, I wish he would get bus slumps better. Like they would give him the most ridiculous shifts, especially in the postseason. <laughs> where if you're struggling, why don't you lay down a bunt and make them face you straight up? to where those balls you're hitting on a rocket, now that straight up would be base hit and collect. Yeah, that seems to be everybody's solution. Just bunt the ball. But if it were that easy, everybody would just do it. I right sound now. like Alex Rodriguez. I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I really like Brandon Lau. Uh, he, he was great in 2020. And the only issue I run across is it's hard to maintain, you know, a 270 batting average and, you know, the, at least that part of his game. He still whiffs a lot. And like Janus was referencing, he strikes out a lot. But when he makes contact, it's like some of the best contact there is in the game. He was in the 98th percentile in barrel percentage, 94th percentile in expected slugging. And the probably the best thing I saw from Brandon Lau in 2020 was in his first two years in the tail end of 2018, very and in 2019, he didn't post an OPS against lefties higher than 704. And in 2020, he had, you know, small sample size alert. He had an 1,100 OPS, including six home runs and six walks to 14 strikeouts against left-handed pitching. So if that increase in production versus lefties is still there and he's not platooned as much by Tampa, uh, he could be a real breakout pick because, like uh, Jameis said, 14 home runs in 56 games, 224 at-bats. That puts him right around 36, 38 home runs over a full 162, which could be the best middle infielder in fantasy. I well, mean, people don't why. want to talk about it, but he could be. Here's the reason why I didn't pick Brandon Lowe, and you mentioned it, Sean. It's the platoon systems in Tampa. It seems like there's a platoon system going on at every position, and I just don't trust them to have Brandon Lau play every single game. What are you going to say there, Jameis? Um, I think one good thing about Brandon Lau is the issue with Brandon Lau is you're right. Joey Wendell's going to see a lot of time at second base. Joe, uh, Brandon Lau sees a lot of time at left field if he does. And I think with Tampa's outfield situation clearing up just a little bit more, mm-hmm. for example, they don't have Hunter Renfro coming back. Yeah. So they're going to run with a Yoshitomo Susugo, who isn't very good in general. And <laughs> well, shade. <laughs> in wow. the outfield. So oh, okay. when Joey Wendell is playing second, mm-hmm. if he if Joey's not playing third, because he played a lot of third last year, if he is playing second, Lyle's still going to be in the lineup. But with those concerns, I mean, that's good points there, James, but I'm still kind of concerned there. That's why I went with Whit Merrifield, who is as steady as you great can flip, get. Great the- pick. That would have been my pick had it had. Oh, had you been there on time? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, Merrifield, uh, the only issue is that he's getting old. But I think I could squeeze one more good year out of him. Plus, uh, you know, stolen bases. If you're thinking from a fantasy standpoint, that is a pick to make. Uh, Sean, uh, on the turn after he cut Guerrero, which is, uh, as you could tell right here, if you guys can see me highlighting, <laughs> it's like nothing but Blue Jays and ex-Blue Jays. Oh, uh, quit here. laughing at me. <laughs> and, uh, he went with Kavan Vigio. Uh, They're think, just good. They're good hitters. I wanted all the good hitters, so I got yeah, them. No, that's understandable. But uh, Kavon, I, I think we know Sean at this point loves Kavon Vigio. So let's move on to shortstop. Oh, uh, can, can I mention one thing about uh, Kevin real fast? Just his ahead. slash line so far. Over yeah, two ahead. years, he's played 159 games. And if you don't think that his, you know, since he doesn't have a high batting average, he's not going to be fantasy relevant. Well, he has roughly an entire season's full of games and plate appearances in that time span. 240, 368 OB, uh, OBP, uh, 430 slugging with 24 home runs and 20 stolen bases. And of those 20 stolen bases, he has been caught exactly zero times. Uh, So he's still going to keep running it until he starts getting caught, I would assume. Um, Atop that lineup, he might not be the number one hitter in that lineup now with the acquisition of George Springer, but that lineup's deadly. Like you said, I have a lot of them. There's a reason I do. Kevin Biggio is 100% fantasy relevant, even if he's only hitting 250. 
Yeah, and for a while it looks like I was just getting all the Royals players, which kind of was worrisome <laughs> because the the whole point of this, uh, this this exercise is to get all every a player from every from every team that's selected uh, that's listed here. So, so he went, and then you went with Bo Bichette at shortstop, which kind of broke my heart because you know how much I love Bo Bichette. We all know how awesome Bo Bichette is. Yeah. I went with Alberto Mondesi, who uh, Sean and I we talked Make about. Make you pull him. your hair out. <laughs> I, I didn't like want Bo's to, hair. <laughs> but uh, my, uh, Sean has mentioned that it is an absolute necessity to get Mondesi for stolen base reasons. So then we go to uh, Jameis, who kind of is looking around, and he decides that he wants to go with Andrelson Simmons. Uh, really quick, James, why did you go with Simmons at this point? There, were, there really wasn't anybody. I thought about Adamas, mm. but uh, the issue with Adamas is similar. I, I didn't want to pick too many of my guys, and I picked <laughs> Willie eventually. Yeah. Um, Adamez gets is very streaky, and I don't like players that as streaky as Free Willy. On, and if you look at his road home splits, he's not very good at the trop. He's playing eighty one games at Tropicana Field. He was awful at home in twenty twenty, and great on the road, and that seems to be a common theme with him. I don't know if it's the turf. I don't know what it is, but I'm not huge on Willie. Well, I take that back because Willie Adams is one of my favorite players. But the moment he gets dealt for Juan DeFranco, I'm not going to be upset. So they can make room for Juan DeFranco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to be upset is what I should say. Let's, um, um, go ahead. For Simmons, there just wasn't anybody. Yeah. Um, when putting together a team, not – He's not a great fantasy shortstop because his value is more in with defense because yeah. he's an incredible defender. And I wouldn't have ever put him on this echelon of shortstops when he was playing for the Braves in the early <laughs> 2010s. Yeah. Although the um, infield fly still bothers me. Oh, um, wow. But because he was at the plate for that. And yeah. then... But he's really turned himself into a solid hitter mm -hmm. with Anaheim. And I think with a better team around him, you may get one or two more good years out of him, out of his bat. And let's move to third base, who I like this pick up here, Jameis Kevin Hayes. That was going to be my Pirates pick. I thought, I, I think I, uh, in my mind, before you came on board, I was thinking to myself, I got Sean this time. I'm going to get, I'm going to get him as my Pirates uh, uh, representative, and he's going to be my corner infielder. And then Jameis says, like, hey, can I play with you guys? Like, fine. <laughs> and you got Cabrian Hayes, so good for you. Uh, obviously, you uh, you uh, believe in the hype of a Cabrian Hayes. What do you think there, Jameis? Well, it's not – I do like Cabrian Hayes. I do think he has potential. I don't think he's going to hit 376 <laughs> for more than 85 bats at bats. Yeah. I don't think his uh, 1,124 OPS is going to last forever. Yeah. But I was looking at the pipe. I almost went with Mike Moustakis here, which I also ended up picking originally. The only reason I didn't mm -hmm. is because I knew I could get another Cincinnati Red, mm -hmm. and I really needed a Pirate. Yeah. And I don't think there's anybody else on that Pirates team I grabbed because not a single one of them mm -hmm. showed any promise to me. At least Cabrian Hayes gives me somebody young, He's only 23 from what I'm saying. I believe um, so. Yeah. He's, yeah, 23, 24, strike, something like that. He doesn't strike out much. 
he he can he can slug, and he has good um, hand-eye coordination and basketball skills. So, um, I'd like to see him work on the walk rate a little bit more. Maybe steal a little bit more bases because he only had one. But if you look at his base running, he's not bad and he's not slow. So and that's something they could tap into. Because if who's hitting behind him this year? Nobody. Colin Moran, they're not going to you're not going to worry about the runner on base with two outs when Colin Moran's at the plate. And then uh, Sean and I, we went with a couple of veterans. I went with Eugenio Suarez because I, I want, you know, I, just like Jameis said. I was getting close to getting uh, Brian Hayes as my uh, Pirates representative, but I thought to myself, uh, is a, it's too much unproven commodity there. So I went with the proven veteran in Eugenio Suarez and hoping I can get one more good year out of him. Uh, Sean went with Josh Donaldson, who he only picked him because he was the next uh, Blue Jays player. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, I was building the all Blue Jay lineup over here. Don't, don't yeah. mind me. And we all know who Josh Donaldson is. So let's move on to the outfield where uh, Sean turns around and gets George Springer here. Uh you still believe in George Springer, obviously. How, what do you yeah, think I, I love George Springer in fantasy. I always have, and mm-hmm. I continue to do so, especially in the lineup he's going to be in now. He went from a very, very good lineup to another very, very good lineup. The possibilities are endless here in Toronto. Uh, him yeah. among there with Biggio, Guerrero, Bichette, <clears throat> things are really looking up for him. Looking like a really good team out there. Uh, pitching might need some more work to do, but uh, I mean the lineup should be solid uh, for the entire season. I think. Um, I went with the Randy Arozarena here, or as I like to call him, uh, what what did I call him? Either Sand Rice or Rice Sand. I think it's Sand Rice. I call Randy Arozarena Sand, sand Rice because Arroz is rice, Arena is sand, so Sand Rice. Uh, I I'm not a believer of him, but I did need a, a Tampa Bay representative, so I went with him, and he's projected to get 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases this upcoming season. So I'm going to do a leap of faith and go with those projections. Uh, Jameis went with Teoscar Hernandez uh, for his outfield, but let's wait. Well, hold on, let's wait until Jameis because we the back and forth was right here between Sean and I. So I turn around and get Austin Meadows for obvious reasons, and uh, I was he's a good was, buy low candidate this year. And I was hoping I to get Byron Buxton. Uh, back, but I think uh, uh, Sean was thinking the same thing I was thinking, so he picked up Byron, Byron Buxton. And then Brian Reynolds is your Pirates representative. Uh, it looks like you were trying to just get one out of the way, right, Sean? In that, in uh, that- partially that, and I think he's going to be a very good hitter. He had a terrible 2020, he batted under the Mendoza line 189, had a 630 OPS. But this is a guy who, in his rookie year, hit 314 with a 880 OPS. And in the minors, he batted 312 and never had a, a batting average lower than – I just had it pulled up. Never had a batting average lower than 302. He's a 300 hitter. He's always been a 300 hitter. Yeah. So I'm like not really year. fretting over a 55-game sample size where he batted 189. I'm, I'm not worried about it. I really liked him uh, coming into drafts last year. So um, maybe he is a good bounce back candidate for the 2021. So I'm looking forward to see if he actually does. Nick Castellanos, who I'm a big fan of. Um, I really wanted him to sign with the White Sox last year. He didn't. I love them on the Cubs. Um, really a good stand-up guy. And hopefully he continues to take advantage of that uh, short uh, Cincinnati Reds field. Uh, let's talk about Jameis's uh outfield here which includes Teoscar Hernandez, Nick Senzel, Max Kepler and mind you that's he didn't get a chance to get any of the uh, so-called better uh, like a George Springer or uh, Austin Meadows 
But, uh, I mean, all things considered, Jameis, how do you like your outfield there? I think I would have picked Teoscar Hernandez regardless. Mm. I, I almost really picked him. <laughs> what? I said, oh, I, I almost picked him even before. And then I said, if I pick him, uh, Felipe is going to yell at me for having too many blow, uh, Blue Jays. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Dong City. Dong City. Yeah, alert. Monday. The Bronx show, Monday night. <laughs> So, so um, go ahead, James. Teoscar Hernandez is one of the most underappreciated players in the game, mainly because he plays in the same on the same team as uh, some really young studs. I personally like him as a hitter more than I like Vlad Guerrero, which is wow. a hot take. Wow. Um, he uh, Teoscar in a, the shortened season hit 16 home runs with a slash line of. 289, 340, 579, and that's good enough for a 919 OPS. He's a a bit of a late bloomer because that was his breakout year at 27. But he hit 26 home runs the year prior. Right. The issue is he hit 230 and had an on-base percentage of 306, which led to a 778, uh, 778 OPS. Uh, which is just over league average. Um, I think the Blue Jays lineup just gets better by the year. Mm-hmm. So more protection, less you can work around him, better stuff to hit. I think he's really coming to his own as a hitter. He showed far more discipline last year. I should know. He raked against my team <laughs> the entire year. <laughs> Moving on to uh, – you also got Nick Sensel, who's a nice uh, uh, stolen base potential there. Max Kepler looking to bounce back from uh, uh, a disappointing 2020 season. Go ahead. Both are by-low candidates. I got Sensel so I could be guaranteed a Reds because mm-hmm. I didn't know who was – I didn't trust y'all to not pick Moustakas for utility. <laughs> I, tried. I, I tried my damnedest. <laughs> Moustakas is going to – I think you actually said is Mustakas available right yep. after I took him. Yep. <laughs> Mustakas yeah. is going to be available for third base, second base, and perhaps depending on if Vado's how Vado okay. gets hurt or doesn't play well, first base. So I like that for fantasy. But Nick Senzel is was supposed to be my Reds representative. I also got uh, a couple other Reds. Yeah, we'll get to them uh, in pitchers. a little bit. But. He was a buy low candidate because he was always a can't miss prospect. Yeah, I don't put much stock into that, but he's at least going to give me stolen bases because I need it, and hopefully turn it around as he develops more in the future. So, um, for Max Kepler, yeah, go ahead. I just needed somebody, and he's still only a year removed from hitting 36 bombs with an 855 OPS. So Depending on how good that Twins lineup is, he was a big part of the Bomba squad from... Yeah, yeah, he was. He was uh, very crucial. I remember when uh, I went to Minnesota that year. Uh, was it 2019, I believe? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, th- that crowd was enormous. And I think Kepler had a big part in all of that. But, Sean, let me ask you this uh, really quickly. Yes or no yep. question. Max Kepler, will he ever go back to that 2019 season? Which... Right here. 2019 Max. was a really, really good one, right? I believe so, yeah. Because I think last year he kind of disappointed. That's just he, my opinion, though. He had the weird one where he couldn't hit lefties, and then he did hit lefties, and then in 2019 he raked them, and then he went back to struggling. 
his he's a weird one to figure out. He's always going to get playing time because he's a great defender. He's yeah. young. <clears throat> the Twins have that great contract on him. I, I think, yes, I, I think he's better than he was in 2020. Uh, but then again, I've been someone who I'm not putting a whole lot of stock into 2020, whether extremely bad or extremely good. And then moving on, my utility guy was Jorge Soler, who uh, I, I was uh, getting ready before Jameis stepped in, getting ready to pick Brian Hayes here. But I decided, you know what, I can win until corner infield. I think I got this on the, in the bag. And I went with Jorge Soler because he doesn't qualify anywhere else. He's only a designated hitter. So I just said, you know, Jorge Soler uh, projected to hit 34 home runs this upcoming season. So I'll take it, especially if he's healthy. Whenever he's healthy, I guess. Uh, your guy, Yandy Diaz. We know how much you love Yandy Diaz here, Sean. Um, you still believe in him, I assume. Yeah, uh, he didn't hit the ball as hard as he did in 2019. His exit velocity went down, and then his launch angle went um, down, down. He had a, a, a minus eight average launch angle, which has always been his issue. Um, but like I said earlier, I'm not diving too much into. He became even harder to strike out. He kind of looked a lot like his minor league self. Um but with someone as big and strong as he is, all he has to do is lift the ball a little bit. He doesn't need to hit these moonshots. He just needs to get them enough to get over the fence. And I mean, I, he's hit those line drive home runs. I'm sure Jameis has seen them many a times where they just yeah. get out in a second and they, they just look like they're not, they look like they're going to hit the wall. Ropes. So uh, for someone who he gets on base, I mean, he had a 428 on base this year. Um, he's still a guy I'm completely in on. He doesn't, when he swings, he doesn't miss. Um, he's a definitely a, a low kind of late round target. And I, I think the way he hits and gets on base, Tampa plays him more than they do a, a lot of other players like G man, Troy. I could see him getting more plate appearances than Troy. Diaz also, um, has third base eligibility, yep. which yes, is something does, to yeah. look at. Um, my one issue with Diaz is that he has a lot of injuries. Like he had really bad hamstring tightness this past year. Had some injuries the year before that. Like he was out from July to the wild card game in 2019. Yeah, his he had the, the broken game, foot or something. Yeah. His first game back was the wild card game in which he hit two bombs, which I loved. <laughs> um, because as a leadoff hitter, which is weird because he's not really the prototypical leadoff hitter, but that's where they primarily hit him in the lineup. Oh, wow. Which, yeah. Um, I did not know that. Mm hmm. I, I like I, I really like Yandy. I remember when they acquired him for Cleveland. It was in the deal with Seattle that sent Edwin Encarnacion to Seattle. And I remember being upset. Like, you're making that deal and you're not getting Encarnacion. <laughs> and you're getting the guy who's can't, can't put the ball in the air because he was hitting everything on the ground. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they really worked on that swing. Mm -hmm. And I really like the pickup. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, uh, you mentioned Willie Adamas already. I think that's when you started, uh, you started getting yes, involved. Yeah. So Marcus Simeon, uh, he was, I guess he's the first blue Jay that I pick in this one or as Sean likes to call hey, him, the first blue Jay. Well, the reason you didn't get any is because I took all of them from you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You took all the blue, all the blue Jay. Uh, Marcus Simeon. So, uh, I don't, I'm not a big believer in him, but for a middle infielder, he fits perfectly in there. Uh, if anything, he'll get me 10 home runs and 10 stolen bases. And he's in a very, really, really good lineup in a very, very good uh, hitter-friendly division. So let's go with that one. Wander Franco, uh, the hot shot prospect. I know 
uh, rekindle my memory here, Sean. Did you watch him personally up in Montgomery? Uh, he had not been promoted. He only got as high as high A, which for them, I, if I remember correctly, is Charlotte. Okay. Yes. Um, the Charlotte Stone Crabs. There yes. you go. It where he batted. I mean, he he didn't do nothing crazy there. He just batted three thirty nine with an on base over four hundred and a four sixty four slugging and a walk percentage almost twice of what his strikeout percentage was. He is the one true eighty grade hitter on Fangraphs. I think yeah. him and Vlad are the only ones to have got. I think Vlad might not have been eighty. I think Vlad was seventy or seventy five. This guy is legit. I doubt he starts the year in the big leagues. I I wouldn't be surprised if they try and work out some sort of an extension, like early on, kind of like how they did with Lau. Um, But even like these projections, several of them, uh, the bat, which is done by Derek Cardi, he even has a stat cast version of it. Um, The stat cast version has him playing 96 games with 400 plate appearances, which is nothing to sneeze at posting a 290, 350, 455 with 11 home runs and eight stolen bases. Wow. That'll play. That'll play. Uh, uh, 20 years old, by the way. 20 yeah, years yeah. Old, he's currently 19, but he'll turn 20 in uh, March. Yes, For fantasy, mm-hmm. I don't – with the Adamas still there, I don't see him coming up until at least the trade deadline, depending on what they do with Free Willy. Um, <laughs> but but he's, a, he's an exceptional pick for a keeper league because you don't oh, want yeah. that guy to be available. Like he is worth riding your bench for a couple months so you can have him for a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, I think Sean went with that route. As you know, uh, you may or may not know, Jameis, uh, we, uh, I, I only do keeper leagues at this point in my life. So uh, th- that's always in back of my mind. Sean has this weird dynasty league with 30 teams. So I'm pretty sure that was on his mind as well. Yeah. Uh, we sneak around, you got Hunter Dozier, who I'm a big fan of, uh, um, Kind of underwhelmed last year, but I you know he was injured he, for most of the he, fight. Yeah, he had COVID right at the he beginning of the year, got a late start. Uh, the thing that makes me hopeful for him is his line drive percentage was still right where it should be. Ground ball percentage went up a little bit, but was still under 40%. Uh, just the exit velo was down compared yeah. to last year, but I, I still love his approach. He walked a lot. Uh, the strikeouts are around 25%, but with his potential production, you'll take a 25% strikeout rate. So uh, I'm back in on Hunter Dozier again. And uh, I picked Colin Moran because he's uh, my Pirates representative, and I was not happy with that pick at all. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I honestly didn't think that I was going to pick any other Pirates, and I ended up getting a couple other pitchers, which we'll get to in a little bit. And uh, Jameis already talked about Joey Wendell earlier in the podcast, so there's nothing left to talk about him. All we do is Wendell. Wendell. <laughs> Wendell. I don't know about this year, but because well, let's get to it. The pitchers. I think the big issue with the Rays is the pitching. But starting here with Luis Castillo, uh, as uh, Jameis is now planted in this tr- mini draft of ours, this, three te- this three-man draft, and he gets probably the best pitcher available uh, in uh, out of these six teams. And to remind folks, oh, well, you guys, if those who could see, are the Rays, Pirates, Royals, Reds, Blue Jays, and Twins? I did. I repeated those for the uh, audio-only people who are listening on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and all the other podcast platforms. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you can see uh, Jameis picking Luis Castillo, who, uh, bar none, I think he was the best uh, pitcher available here. Um, what I mean, I, there's nothing left to say about Luis Castillo. I, I, there is all of him. Nate, no. I picked Nate Pearson because I outsmarted myself because I think <laughs> I, I remember that Sean loved him a lot. So I said, you know what? There's a really good chance that he's not going to get Tyler Glass on who I was wanted to pick here. So I'm already like trying to uh, out, you know, trying to you know, <laughs> overthink things too much. I know he loves Nate Pearson, and it'd be a shame if he gets up if he gets Nate Pearson. 
So I went and got him thinking that I wasn't going to get any Blue Jays uh, pitchers or any Blue Jays players, uh, forgetting that I already got Marcus Simeon. So I got Nate Pearson, a uh, highly touted prospect, blazing fastball. Um, I don't know if I should expect big things out of 2021, but like uh, Jameis was uh, insinuating earlier, if you're in a keeper league or in a dice league, uh, he's almost a must-have to, uh, to grab here, um, which, like I said, we are, we're always thinking back of mind of that. And then we get to Sean, who picks Sonny Gray and Tyler Glasnow, which uh, ruined my plans here. Were you always going to get Tyler Glasnow, uh, Sean, there? Uh, yeah, he was going to be one of the two. I almost Damn picked it. him with the first one, and I so I, I knew he was going to be one of the two. And while I do love Luis Castillo and I do love Nate Pearson, I believe Nate Pearson comes with his own set of issues in yeah. terms of workload restrictions that he's going to face in 2021. Um, but I feel like I came away out of this after being the last to pick a pitcher I feel like I came away with the best one-two out of all three of our teams. I thought Sonny Gray and Glasnow was like a pretty good two-headed monster. Uh, both guys who are at you know the top of their game. Glasnow is going to be expected to maintain that, if not take another step forward. Um, that role of rotation ace is officially his now with Snell out of the picture. Has to be, yeah. And, and he, he's too. yeah, and he's very much like, you know, Denelson Lamette, in which he's in essentially a two-pitch pitcher. Yeah. And there are people, uh, I'm very skeptical of two-pitch pitchers. Um, but with Glasnow, it's a fastball and a curveball. That curveball is a little bit more neutralizing to both sides of the plate, uh, while Lamette's slider is very good against lefties, but it is truly elite against righties as well. Uh, so I am have nothing but high expectations for Tyler Glasnow. I've loved him since his prospect days. Uh, I always ha- had very, very high hopes for him. And then Sonny Gray has just been revitalized by the driveline team that's basically taken over the Cincinnati Reds pitching development. Uh, you'll see I have several Reds pitchers here, and I attribute a lot of their success in very high spin rates and active spin to that new pitching development that they have over there in Cincinnati. By the way, and, you, uh, you 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 ha- somehow summoned uh, Vince Mercandetti, who's on board on oh. the show right now. So uh, yeah, all you have to do was uh, <laughs> give a sexual innuendo and, and spit three times. <laughs> yeah, in, in front of a mirror too. By the way, in Go regards ahead, to Glass now. Go ahead. Um, I love Tyler Glass now. I actually have his jersey right sitting right over there. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's going to be that good, and because. As you mentioned the workload on Nate Pearson, which is a fair, all prospects are going to have that. That's why I didn't go with a guy like Josh Fleming, who I really like what I've seen out of in Tampa. Mm. Yeah, but, I was thinking about him too. Um, yeah, he's very under the radar, but he's solid. Um, Tyler Glass now isn't going to go more than five innings a night because he he walks too many guys, he throws too many pitches. He tries – he reminds me a lot of Archer in the sense where Archer overthrew a lot of his breaking stuff to try and get the strikeouts instead of pitching to contact when you needed to. And then Glasnow also is regularly injured. Yeah. So – which is why Felipe kind of said under his breath the race pitching worries him, and that may surprise some people, but with Snell and Morton not there to anchor – I agree with him a little bit because Chirinos is a really good pitcher, but Chirinos just had Tommy John, so he's out for 2021. 
No, this race starting rotation is not as strong as last year at all. Like he, we do realize they're going to go out there with Trevor Richards and Michael Walker, two of the best changeups in the game, and they're literally going to win like a combined twenty-seven games or something crazy. <laughs> it doesn't matter who they run out there. Of course, another guy that I, I it doesn't show up on any of our lists, but I wanted to mention is Brendan McKay. I think he's a forgotten man, a forgotten top prospect yeah. that we don't need to forget. Uh, he had a short, I think he had COVID kind of right before the season started. And then he went down with some shoulder soreness and they just shut him down. Uh, he's a guy who there are openings in that rotation that are being filled by kind of nobody's quote unquote, like Michael Waka. Uh, Brendan McKay could take advantage of that. Uh, small confession. I always get Brendan McKay and Mackenzie Gore confused. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um, uh, Brendan McKay is the, the two-way player. Yeah. I thought Mackenzie Gore was also a two-way player. No, I mean, is he? No. No. I thought he was just pitching. He's okay. just a pitcher. <laughs> All right. So it was uh, Hunter Green then who I got. I, yes. I also mixed yes in there. he was the, the two-way. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Hyun Jin Ryu, who uh, Blue Jays uh, de facto ways, I ended up getting him. Uh, steady pitcher, nothing to get excited about, but at least he'll uh, eat up innings and get some run support. He will probably have more innings than Nate Pearson and Tyler Glasnow combined. Hot take. <laughs> that's really that's really hot because uh, no, I, I mean uh, anyway, that's another topic. <laughs> that's pretty funny though. I like that. Uh, Jose Berrios, who I almost got, I almost ended up getting a glass now Jose Berrios uh, combination, and I decided to go a different route. Obviously, Jameis likes him enough. Uh, I know I people are kind of sour on him, but I mean, Jameis, go ahead. I'm sorry. I wanted for you. Um, oh. I think the issue. I think. Be, Barrios is a little overrated. I think he has some of the filthiest stuff in the game, mm-hmm. but I don't think he knows how to pitch. Oh, that guy just goes out there, throws the ball, hopes against the wall, <laughs> hopes it sticks. <laughs> but no, when he's I, I totally ball, agree. I totally agree. And on Dong City this past week, they, they talked about Jose Barrios and Henry – bless him to death it he either says something i 100 agree with or 100 disagree with but he hit the nail on the head jose barrios he has this great breaking ball he has good velocity on out of the four seamer and we keep saying he's he's the he's he's the minnesota's ace he's gonna break out he's gonna break out every year yeah. it's been 115 starts in his career already he's a 4.19 era guy at, and I believe the phrase that came up with them was sometimes you just have to call a spade a spade. I think Jose yeah. Barrios is just a four ERA guy. He's very up and down. Uh, I think in like daily leagues, if you can play the matchups, I feel like he does have matchups where you look at him and say, okay, he's going to do well or yeah. matchups where you're like, okay, I'm not touching him with a 10 foot pole, but yeah, Jose Barrios is a good pick here. And I thought about him as one of my two guys, but I just I, – I can't do it. He's too much of a headache. Yeah, There's not much pitching between these six teams in regards to starting. No, I mean, you got some good ones here. You got Luis Castillo, Jose Barrios, and Kenta Maeda, who uh, – I'm a also really – good one there. I, I, also, I forgot all about Maeda. I'm wary on him, but considering he just finished top three in Cy Young voting, I think he finished second. Yeah. Oh, did he? I, didn't, I don't a, remember. No. It's a decent pick since he just finished second in Cy Young voting. No, oh, he's he's pretty pretty damn good, and uh, hopefully he can continue on this route because he was. I think that we're gonna see his numbers go up now that he has more of a routine. Yeah. Because in LA, 
he never knew if he was going to spot start, mm-hmm. if he was going to pitch the eighth, if he was going to pitch long innings if somebody got shelled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was, so just, I, think, uh, I was just going to say that too. He, say he that doesn't too. have to worry mm-hmm. about his contract being manipulated. Um, <laughs> he, he, they just, I mean, cause Minnesota, they don't, they, they don't care. We'll pay you to be a starting pitcher. Cause he's really getting paid relatively cheap. Yeah. And he's always been good at inducing weak contact and he has the breaking stuff to really miss bats. I, 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 I totally forgot about Kinsamaeda when I saw that he went off the board, I was like, kind of like doy, like I could have got him. Wait, uh, wait. So hold on, Sean. So if if you want to remember who if Kenta Maeda was there, I mean, who do you not pick here? Sonny Gray or Tyler Glasnow? Uh, probably uh, Glasnow was the one who came to mind as it, my Sean. SP number one. You so ruined my plans, Sean. I, I, I was going to get Glasnow. I could have picked Kenta Maeda over Sonny ah. Gray. I think that that debate is actually close. I think that's a close one right there. Of course it is. Um, and then I would have gotten Tyler Glasnow. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> In regards to Maeda, I don't think he's the best fantasy pick because he's not a big K pitcher. Mm-hmm. But that's what Bar- Jose Barrios is there for. So Barrios can get my strikeouts. Maeda can kind of even out the bad starts where his ERA no. skyrockets. That's a really good point, man. That's a really good point. It's all about balance, as we like to talk about here on this podcast. You got to uh, balance out those uh, weaknesses and cover them up with your other team's strengths. I went with Tyler Mayo, who I absolutely fell in love with last year as uh, he kind of saved uh, a few of my teams from total destruction on their pitching staff. So hoping that the Reds finally see that they have a really uh, good choice in their starting rotation. Uh, well, Sean, I guess I should ask you, uh, do you believe in Tyler Mayo here? Yeah, I, I like him. I, I like him especially more with that pitching development system that they have started integrating uh, all throughout up and down all the way to the major leagues and down to the lowest minor league team. Uh, I feel like Maley is one of those guys. I mean, he had a 188 expected batting average against last year, uh, did a really good job of inducing weak contact, um, did get a lot of fly balls last year, which in that ballpark you do want to be uh, a little skeptical of if you're relying on fly balls to get outs compared to keeping it on the ground. Yeah. Um, he only had a 25% or uh, or 30% ground ball rate, which is pretty low. Um, he could go either way. I, I, I do like him, though, especially since it seems he is improving. There are tangible signs of improvement for him. And if he keeps trending in that direction, he's going to be really, really good. I remember wa- watching some of his statistics, some of the uh, underlying statistics about his, about his fastball. I remember him just ha- uh, at least at the very least posting high velocities. And, and, you know, the thing, Sean, about about high fly ball rates, you know what they are, right? They're automatic outs. Oh, yeah, of so, course. They're, they're, they, they never leave the ballpark. Only ground balls leave the ballpark. What are you well, talking uh, about? I'll put it this way. A really good fly ball pitcher, which, you know, it's a tall order to ask for Tyler Maley to uh, keep the ball in, the, in Cincinnati, in the ballpark there in Cincinnati. But, you know, pop-ups, fly balls, they're automatic. Yeah. If, if Tyler Maley was pitching in, say, Oakland, Oakland. Yes. I would be all over him. Dodger oh, yeah. Stadium. Yeah, Dodger Dodger Stadium. Yeah. yeah. In the um, West Coast, basically. But, yeah. AT&T, whatever it's called now. I don't, uh, yeah. I don't remember. Is it Oracle? Uh, Oracle, yes. Company. Oracle. Yeah, but 94 fastball, it, it actually uh, rose last year when he was finally uh, given the reins to be a starter. Uh, moving on to Robbie Ray, you got a – I was since my I feel like I had the weakest pitching rotation so far because my plans are just like in shambles at this point, and I was this close to picking Robbie Ray out of desperation. <laughs> but uh, 
I mean, it, it's hold on. I, I saw a, a thing here. Uh, where the hell did it go? Strikeouts. There it is. Yeah, he's he was like, wow, a 200 strikeout pitcher this late in this mini draft. Why isn't anybody picking it? And then I remember, oh, it's Robbie Ray. You know, the guy with the high walk rates and the high home run rates. Convince me why Robbie Ray is a good pick here, Sean. Um, I can't. <laughs> I mean, Robbie Ray, he still misses bats and. Yeah. Going into spring training in 2020, he had changed something about his arm action. I think he had kind of uh, really broke it down into something much more simple. And he had good results in uh, two games started in spring training at a 1.59 ERA. Still was getting his strikeouts. Um, He ended up being traded to Toronto at the quote-unquote deadline of this year. Um, His fastball just got plummeted. The slider is still one of the best pitches in baseball. Curveball still uh, very good, although it got absolutely shelled in 2020 um but as i continue to say i'm not looking into the extreme highs or extreme lows he still whiffed bats he still walked a lot of guys but over a full year in getting more comfortable i I think he's a guy who can really be a good three or four and as long as he can get go five innings give up two or three runs and strike out like eight or nine batters like he's done basically his entire career. I think he's a, still a solid fantasy play. Um, if his ERA sticks at six and a half with a whip closer to two than one, then obviously you just got to cut bait and run. But uh, the strikeout potential is still very, very tantalizing and very still much there for Robbie Ray. Follow Robbie Ray is Follow one of those question. guys because we mentioned it with Jose Barrios a little bit. At this point in his career, we have to call a spade a spade because I remember not too long ago, we're not too far removed from when baseball Twitter and baseball Reddit and baseball analysts in general, whether they were paid to analyze or whether they were just armchair GMs or whatever, (laughs) as the phrase goes, Robbie Ray was – Always told he's going to break out and be better than oh. Zach Greinke. Yeah. And one's a Cy Young, should be two-time Cy Young. And no, I may get an argument because I think he was better than Jake that year. Mm. But – and he's – Zach Greinke's going in the Hall of Fame, and Robbie Ray has been living off potential literally his entire <laughs> run. Well, I was going to ask, Sean, I mean, it just seems like he just looks like he might profile as a, as a good bullpen arm um, eventually in his career. Is that similar is, to Wade Davis? Yeah. Is that, oh, Wade Davis. That's a good name there. <laughs> Who, yeah. Hey, he's back with the Royals. I found out because of this exercise. I found out that Wade Davis is a non-roster invitee. There you go. The, Royals, yeah. so the things you learn. They brought circle. back their entire 2015 bullpen, <laughs> <laughs> which Greg Holland was Greg the Holland. perfect pick for me because he was great this year, and I was surprised he lasted that long. I'm uh, like, I, I don't trust. He's that. available, and uh, he had an ERA under two in 2020. I'm like, no, I'm not touching that. I, I like him in Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. Um. In terms of. Uh, Robbie Ray in going to the bullpen. I just don't think Toronto has the bu- uh, the starting rotation depth to do it. So I think they're going to try him as a starter as long as they can. Uh, speaking of the Royals, you went up and when you told me you, you wanted Keller, I saw that you wanted Keller. My my heart broke because I I wanted Mitch Keller, but then you told me <laughs> no, I want Brad Keller. Like oh okay, why did you pick Brad Keller over Mitch Keller? On on second thought, I probably would have gone with Mitch Keller. Oh, well. But Brad Keller, uh, Keller on his own is not a bad pick. Uh, he's very much slept on. He doesn't miss bats, like, at all. And, of course, you're not going to get the strikeout. But I could see a very poor man's 
Uh, not really Dallas Keuchel, but Mike Soroka with mm. a worse sinker and a better four-seamer. Because that's the thing with Brad Keller. He has one of the better four-seam slider combos. Um, the expected batting average against – or the batting average against each last year were under 190. Both pitches, his two primary pitches, they batted under 190 against each. Uh, his sinker, though, which he throws about 20% of the time, just gets crushed. Uh, I mean, it's a sinker. That's what happens to most people's sinkers. Yeah. Um, but I really think that combo there, uh, you're not going to get the strikeouts. He only had 35 and 55 innings, but he had a 2.47 ERA and a 1.02 whip in 2020. Obviously, that's probably a little bit of overperformance. His expected ERA was closer to four and a half, but he misses barrels. And that's a skill that definitely plays over a career. And I think he's just now scratching the surface of it and could be even better yeah and i went with uh the unknown commodity in mitch keller i mean he's not unknown he's always been a highly regarded pitching prospect um but so far in the big leagues he has not proven himself very well but you uh at this point i'm like well all the good pitches are gone so i'm just looking for any upside whatsoever that i could find here uh mitch keller throws a fastball uh, according to pitch effects 56 percent of the time at a 93, ooh, last year was pretty bad, but he's averaged 94.9 in his short career in the majors. Um, and as far as uh, missing bats, it's almost non-existent for him, especially last year. But you, you get him because he's supposed to be a 55 future value grade uh, pitching prospect with uh, a decent uh, fastball and a decent uh, cur- uh, breaking pitch repertoire there. Uh, but no, I he needs to step up this year in order for me to justify this pick. Uh, Sean, you're going to say something? Yeah, it's a really funny thing because in 2019, in his you know first cup of coffee in the big leagues, he had a ERA over seven, but his expected ERA was only four. He uh, pitched into a lot of bad luck, a lot of home run to fly ball luck. His metrics were great, great spin rate, great both on fastball and curveball, uh, premier velocity he's always had. And then in 2020, it was like the flip side of that coin. His yeah. peripherals were absolute crap. And he had a 2.9 ERA, but an expected ERA of over six, uh, partly in due to a walk rate that was insanely high, but he kind of just tiptoed out of trouble, I guess, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips for Mitch Keller. Uh, he's a good pick. I probably should have picked him over Brad Keller. I like both, uh, but I can't fault you for Mitch Keller here. Yeah. Um, you know what the pirate, what Mitch Keller just needs from the pirates right now, they just need a trade. trade. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they did it with Musgrove. Uh, I think I'm I'm messing up the names here. They did it with Cole. Sorry. They did it with Garrett Cole. They did it. They did. They did not with Jamison Tyone. They just need to get rid of these uh, high end uh, prospects. They did trade. They did. uh, Yes. Yeah. So, and then uh, Tyler Glass now as well. That's the other name I was uh, kind of struggling with. So they just need to trade these good players, they can, uh, these uh, good <laughs> pitching prospects so they can flourish elsewhere. Uh, speaking of Mike Miner, we mentioned him. Oh, no, we did not mention Mike Miner. Well, I did not pick a Keller. No. Mm-hmm. But Helen, Helen Keller's got a hell of a fastball. Helen, if you, she needs <laughs> yeah. to spot it, though. She needs to the spot hitters it. can't even see it. She needs when it to spot it. <laughs> we're all going to hell guys <laughs> no, that's okay well, well we'll say hi to helen keller when we see you <laughs> um so for mike minor a terrible 2020 we'll call it a spade a spade there <laughs> um he was never anything special with the braves when i watched him every day but he was he was an all-star in 2019 he um, 
he pitched over 200 innings and reached the 200K threshold for the first time, which is was a big controversial thing for some stupid reason. Mm-hmm. And then, and but in 2017, and this is why I picked him because he's back with the Royals. His f- first time pitching in the majors since 2014, and 65 games, uh, 77.2 innings of work. So not the biggest sample size. He had a 2.55 ERA. He does really well in Kaufman. And so he's not far removed from an all-star season. Back in that ballpark, I think he could be a decent, savvy, late-round pick because there's really nobody left. A couple of comments I want to read. Uh, Melvin, who uh, appeared on this podcast uh, back in December, I believe, right, Sean, talking about the Hall of Fame. He thinks that Jose Barrios is the second coming of Javier Vasquez. Oh, that's a good one. I like that, yeah, Melvin. It's a good, that's a good comp. And then uh, I'm actually in the middle of uh, this Richard person who's, uh, I don't want to mention his last name, but uh, Richard uh, in the live feed here on Facebook is, is talking about off topic, not, not related to these teams, but I, it's kind of an interesting question because uh, he's asking if maybe the Colorado Rockies should invest in getting, you know, Sean, what you mentioned before about the Mariners, Mariners, Seattle Mariners getting all these uh uh, change up crafty guys uh, in their draft. Mm-hmm. If maybe the Rockets can kind of uh, do something similar and get a bunch of change up guys to invest in their farm system. Uh, that, that would still probably be more expensive and time consuming to get and find that many pitchers mm-hmm. uh, than just building a dome. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think it's a, a frugal exercise of just you're going to throw it against the wall and hope it sticks, but it's a, a bouncy wall. And I, I just think it's always something that Colorado is going to have to battle. And I don't think they know how to tackle it just yet. I don't think they'll ever tackle it. I, I just think, think they'll have to beat other teams into submissions much like they did. And I believe it was 07 or 08 when they went on that, they got crazy. hot. And, yeah. And they swept everyone going to the playoffs. Which, so uh, Matt holiday still hasn't touched home plate. By the <laughs> way. Oh, wow. We're going, we're going to go that route now, huh? You know what, Sean? They just need better humidifiers. That's all. They need, <laughs> they need more humidity. And they need more air. They need to get more air out in thin air. That's and that's an interesting yeah. question because we always discredit hitters. Like I think one big deal with the Hall of Fame a couple of years <laughs> ago was Larry Walker. Yeah. But if I I put this in the Hall of Fame piece we mentioned at the top of the program in 1997, Larry Walker had a better OPS on the road than he did at home. And Todd Helton isn't getting some votes because he played in course field, but he had a higher OPS on the road than Tony Gwynn did in his career. And so he was a hall of fame player regardless. And I think what isn't noted is the after effect on the road trips, changing the air, because that's not easy to do. And I think while there are some hitters, um, Troy Tulowitzki was a big – it was one of the big ones that I can think of um, that benefit from the thin air. Not all of them do, and we discredit every Rockies hitter, but we don't credit the pitchers who struggle. Mm-hmm. Playing in Colorado, we just say they suck. When <laughs> If it's that hitter-friendly – yeah. Then it's not that they suck; it's that they're it's the environment. Right? Take that, you Baldo Jimenez! You suck. Like one yeah. of my best friends. Well, 
she's not really one of my best friends anymore. But uh, is is the um, niece of Eddie Butler? Oh wow! And Eddie Butler saw a lot of the. He's not very good now. He wasn't very good with Chicago either, and I kind of broke down his um or to or Texas, but and I kind of broke down his um mechanics and was like, he needs to fix this, he needs to fix this because he was. I could pick up a, a lot of tells on what pitch was coming, and if I can do it as somebody uh-huh. sitting at home, then obviously that the hitters can, but like those pitchers face a lot of flack for their performance, but they're playing in Colorado. It's like Arizona pre-humidifiers pitchers, other than Schilling and Johnson, were never any good either. <laughs> like Aaron Cook was a really good arm. I think Aaron Cook would have had a more memorable career had he played for another team. Well, I mean, that's part of the that's part of the uh, logic that this uh, Richard person in the uh, Facebook yeah. Live is commenting like, yeah, get a guy like Aaron Cook who, uh, or get more guys like Aaron Cook who are go more with craft and guile than than stuff and velocity. So anyway, we're at the uh, hour mark. Uh, we need to rapidly go. We know who yeah, Ryan Yarbrough. I need to wrap this up soon. Oh, if that's possible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, let's get going then. Luis Patino, uh, highly touted prospect. Like I said, I was chasing potential and upside here. So I went with Luis Patino from the uh, n- not the Padres. He's now with the Rays. Rays, yes. yeah, Rays. He came over in the Blake Snell deal. Correct. Yes. And uh, TJ Antone, uh, Sean, you're gonna have to rekindle my memory as I didn't get a chance to look this up. Uh, who who does he play for? He is the Cincinnati Reds pitcher who is an absolutely nothing prospect and now is a Statcast darling. Oh, I mean, right. he okay. is another one of those guys that the pitching development has completely molded, sprinkled their little driveline dust on him. And right now he profiles as either the fifth starter, potential closer, or swingman. He did a little bit of both in 2020. It was great. Um, I'm expecting it just a more step up for him and at least a more solidified role. Uh, and then, you know what, since uh, Jameis, I know you had a hard stop at the top of the hour. Just quickly mention uh, something about the three relief pitchers you selected, Diego Castillo, Nick Anderson, and I should be good Michael for Robinson. about 10, 15 more minutes, but – Oh, okay. Well, might as well just uh, finish up Nikki here. Nicky A, I, um, I think there was a stat where he hadn't given up a run in 55 consecutive innings or something like that, or he gave up like one or two runs in 55 straight innings last year. Um, when the when the Tampa Bay Rays acquired him from Miami, and I, I, I want to say the Ryan Stanek deal. I may be off a little bit which he's much better than Ryan Stanek ever was. <laughs> wow. He immediately came up and broke out and has been the top reliever in the game since. I don't really hold the Mookie Betts thing against him because they they wore out his arm all year. Yeah, And then Mookie, he's a right-handed flamethrower, which is what Mookie Betts is known for raking off of. Yeah. So I don't really hold the postseason against them. I think great hitters figure out great pitchers. Um, and he had pitched in six consecutive games. Diego Castillo has a 99-mile-per-hour sinker on average. <laughs> yep, His stuff is filthy. I'd like to see him try to hit spots a little more, but he's got tremendous stuff. Michael Lorenzen was just a pick to get a guy. Um, I wish he had – Hitter with him going two way, he might get hitter 
eligibility on the days he doesn't pitch now, which means that would make him a prime fantasy target and similar vein to Otani to where you can get two spots out of one guy, two vastly different spots out of one guy, um, which is what makes him a prime fantasy candidate. That's really good points right there. I didn't think about Michael Lorenzen in that. I mean, I, I heard about it, but I, to me, it's like, it seems like a pipe dream, but it looks like the Reds yeah. might be really serious about that. And uh, you already mentioned Greg Collin at this point. So, Jameis, I want to make sure I bid you a good farewell. Thank you so much for coming on uh, the show Anytime today. y'all want me, let me know. I'll gladly come on for uh, any topic because I follow, I cover the entire league. So it's kind of, I can pretty much go. And uh, we'll go ahead and plug your articles. Where do you write for again? I, I write for Pro Sports Extra. I write for primarily MLB and then pro wrestling. And that's all of pro wrestling, including the independents. Nice. Um, in general. Um, I also have covered the NHL and the NFL. Okay. Nicely done. And we need uh, to get uh, him on the work shoot podcast. Yeah. Uh, over there. Famous uh, Royal Rumble today, I believe. Who do you, who's winning really quick? Well, I have no idea. like i'm i'm either going to i think it's going to be daniel bryan i don't think daniel bryan needs it i like you can work him into roman elsewhere what i'd like to see is i would have loved to have seen shinsuke win it especially since i thought they were building it up for him yeah for the last few weeks with the face turn which i'm so glad his team's back they (laughs) really missed the mark on nakamura when they turned him heel at mania 34 yeah and he should have gone over in that match and they did him no, no favors with the low blow thing they did him no favors yeah um with oh. the speak no english thing um i would oh man you're who just i would really like to see here. yeah just because I, I i like the story is edge and i mm. think him putting over mcintyre would be huge yeah um I think a marquee match because I'm struggling to find somebody for Drew McIntyre for Mania because yeah. Drew McIntyre's worked everybody the last year. Yeah, um, you're running out of, running out of talent there. Uh, but the, uh, go uh, last point there, James. Well, go ahead. They mentioned a nightmare finish on WrestleVotes Twitter the other day, and they're very, very reputable. So I think the nightmare finish is going to be Cena, but I think Drew's going to beat him. Okay. Wrestling. And I think you get money in the Cena chase for 16. Yeah. But you fully solidified Drew as your top guy with him going over surprising many. Interesting stuff there, Mooney. Thank so, you so much. Oh, so he ahead. leaves us with a very interesting Royal Rumble prediction, which I that came out of left field for me. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jameis. Uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. Anytime y'all want me, let me know. Thank you. Okay. All right. Have a good one, man. And that was Jameis Mooney. He, uh, like I said, a scribe uh, for. Oh, shoot, I forget the nickname, the name of the website already, but he mentioned it already. So uh, he he shares his stuff in the baseball life group. So check him out when he posts stuff. He's uh, more than welcome to share his stuff there as well. Uh, let's finish up with uh, my my uh, quickly rapid fire. Get this out of the way. Taylor Rogers is you know I feel like he was the best closer available at this spot. Um, solid solid arm for the Twins. He's yeah. gonna get all the saves he can handle. Uh, Amir Garrett, I, I'm a big fan of Amir Garrett, as you noticed, Sean. I picked him up in all my leagues uh, that I could 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought it was really funny that in the string of picks right here, Amir Garrett, Lucas Sims, Michael Lorenzen, we all kind of picked like the handcuffs for who we still don't know who the Reds are going to use as their closer after trading longtime closer Iglesias to the Angels. But yeah. it could be some collection of Garrett, Sims, Lorenzen, or even TJ Antone, even though I think he's more um, viable as a starter. Uh, all of those guys, Amir Garrett says he wants the job. Lucas Sims probably deserves the job. Um, all very interesting. Taylor Rogers was a great pick, though. He's probably going to have the most saves out of all the relievers on this list. Yeah, and you know, for many years, I was kind of always wary about Taylor Rogers because he's a left-handed relief pitcher for the Twins, and they could use a, a what do they call him, a, a late-inning relief, left-handed yeah. relief pitcher. But no, they kept him at the closer role, and I'm grateful for that, and I'm more than willing to reach for him in drafts this year, like I've been doing in all my mock drafts. Uh, Amir Garrett, like I said, I, I love. I mean, as you saw that I picked him up in a lot of my leagues last year, late in the season. If if you know if he doesn't close out games, he can at least get you some cheap holds and high strikeout rates, uh, especially in our wacky league that kind of rewards that kind of production from relief pitchers. Richard Rodriguez, you know how I love. I you know what? It's not a Felipe team if it if it doesn't have a Pirates closer at the back end. Uh, <laughs> For a long time, I was a big fan of Felipe Vasquez for obvious reasons. He has my – we share the same first name. Um, I don't know when he's going to get out of trouble, but I think we've seen the last of Felipe Vasquez. Pro- more, yeah, I would believe so. And then last year, I picked up another another guy who's a, a reputable jerk in uh, Keone Kella. But, hey, if he's the closer for the Pirates, he's on my team. <laughs> and uh, this year, I'm going with Richard Rodriguez. Uh, so, hopefully, hey, when when – when in doubt, just get a Pirates closer to fill out your bullpen. And finally, Peter Fairbanks, who uh, he's listed as a closer for the race, but you and I know better. But at the very least, he'll get you high strikeouts and some cheap holds and some cheap wins as well. Yeah, so. I, liked, I liked Peter Fairbanks even when he was in the Texas system. And when I saw Tampa traded for him, I, I'd always looked at his minor league stats as, you know, this really high velocity, high strikeout, high walk guy. And when I saw Tampa was the team that traded for him, I was like, Hold on to your boots. This could be Nick Anderson 2.0. I went and I added him in like every single league. <laughs> yeah. not, not, he, he's not Nick Anderson 2.0 just yet, but he could be. And I, I think we, you, um, last year, I, I, my memory is kind of on fire right now as uh, I'm fighting through a headache this entire show. So I apologize if I'm, if my uh, enthusiasm isn't as high as usual. But I now remember that we did a show with uh, where you shared uh, the pitch uh, starting points or whatever they're called. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I remember that, you know, one guy was down here, another guy was up here, and then Peter Finkwakes has a release point that's really high. It's literally off of his ear, and he's a tall dude. He's like 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, right. All right, moving on to your team, Sean. Uh, Josh Stoutman, Lucas Sims, Kirby Yates, Ross Stripling, as you know, Josh Stoutman. Uh, we had a podcast episode last year where you, we talked about him at nauseum, and then five minutes after the show, I picked him up in all three of my teams. So. <laughs> chivalry is dead (laughs) i gave you five minutes man i I gave you five minutes yeah he was the one um in spring training in 20 he came out and he was hitting 100 pretty easily in his like first few appearances and i peeked up to that and i said wait what because he's always been a pretty good strikeout guy in the minors he had a great curveball but the fastball was always what got hit and then in 2020 he adds a several ticks to it um he had a 95.9 average mile an hour fastball in 2019 that went all the way up to 20 uh to 98 in 2020 i believe he had the second amount of uh fastballs thrown 98 plus 
Uh, he was either second or third behind DeGrom and Sixto Sanchez. But he's got a, a wicked breaking ball. He's probably lined up to be the Kansas City closer. You know, hashtag bad team closers are still valuable. That's a long hashtag. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I love him. Uh, I think my favorite bit from him in 2020 was he threw a fastball literally right down the middle at 102, I think. And the umpire called it a ball because he missed yeah. it. I remember that. And uh, John, uh, yeah, John Boy did a video on it. And it's just like, it went straight down the middle. And he's like, where did that miss? He's just like, and he just shrugs it off. Like most pitchers you would think would be like on fire, but he's just like, okay, whatever. I'll just throw another 102 mile an hour fastball. Uh, yeah. And, and that's pretty much why he got notoriety was because that 102 mile per hour fastball was called the ball. And all of a sudden you just see him getting talked about in all the podcasts. Uh, articles are written about him. Go ahead, Sean. But hey, I was talking about him first. Oh, I, I, I beat you guys to him. <laughs> Except in where it mattered most in, fan, yeah, in our sure. fantasy league. So. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to point out that if everything goes according to plan, because we had this uh, Richard person telling us about the, um, what do you call it, about the, uh, asking about the Colorado Rockies. If things go according to plan, we should be talking about the Rockies on Valentine's Day. So be sure to check us Keep out. Keep a lookout. Yep. Be a lookout for that one. Uh, Lucas Sims, uh, obviously we talked about how the Reds' closing uh, situation is a bottleneck, but you, you think Lucas Sims is going to be the closer then? Yeah, just as he has the uh, right-hand default, uh, Amir Garrett is a lefty. Uh, Lucas Sims has a little bit more of a complete ar- – well, I want yeah, complete arsenal. He has a fastball curve and slider. Um, and if you just look at his savant page, I mean – 100th percentile in curve spin, 99th percentile in fastball spin. He has completely, once again, pitching development in Cincinnati. Um, he was a, a top prospect. He's a former first-round pick in 2012 of the Atlanta Braves, um, and he's figuring it out. And they're getting the most out of their guys. And I think Lucas Sims is the closer. I think he gets at least 20 saves this year. Amir Garrett might pick up some, but I think Lucas Sims is the guy. And then Kirby Gates, you uh, expect him to bounce back from an injury-riddled season, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I mean, he's only one season removed from being one of the best closers, if not the best closer in baseball. Um, That's He he had an operation to remove bone chips out of his elbow. Uh, The velocity was down as the season got started. He only pitched about four innings, I think. Uh, Whiffs were still there. He still got the wicked splitter. And as long as that splitter is working, he's going to be valuable, especially on this Blue Jays team, as long as he doesn't get overworked, which could be an issue because that rotation is thin. The bullpen is even thinner. They might lean on Kirby Yates too hard, Mm -hmm. and you could see him get hurt again. Or he could go out there and have another 40-save season. It's a a toss-up. But uh, it's obviously the the reason you picked him is because he's a Blue Blue Jays uh, player. (laughs) That was no, you could tell the headaches is messy. That was that was an accident. Sorry, guys. That, that was not on purpose this time around. Uh, I, I also hear my baby making noises. So, I, yeah, it's basically telling me that it's time for me to wrap up here. Ross Stripling finishes out. I've always been a big fan of Ross Stripling. I think the uh, Dodgers did him no service down there, but then he did get exposed a little bit uh, last year as well. But uh, what do we make of Ross Stripling for the up to, upcoming season? Well, at this point, there weren't really any good bullpen arms left. I was thinking Jose Alvarado as maybe like the best option. But then I thought, hey, Toronto has this guy who they just got from Los Angeles, and he was very, very good. He was even an all-star at one point. Here's a guy. In, In a points league, 
are, I mean, he, he's a legitimate spark. He's always been one back and forth rotation, bullpen, rotation, bullpen, and a team like the blue Jays who have very thin pitching Ross Stripling could find himself eating a lot of innings very quickly. Obviously he had massive struggles in 2020, but once again, I'm not leaning too heavily into bad or good of 20. The arsenal is still there. He's still got a really good curveball. Um, I, I'm excited for him. And as a SPARP, I would much rather have his production and the possibility of, hey, maybe I get six or seven or eight starts this week because one of my relief pitchers is starting a game than picking someone who's maybe the entire week going to throw like an inning and two thirds. So I think the upside for Stripling, it was a pure upside pick here. And I think he's going to do well. It's a, it's a terrible division for him going into the AL East, but I, I still like him. Yeah, I, I still have some, uh, you know, longing hopes for him, but I just, time's, time's taken away for him as well. And yeah, like you mentioned, going to that division is going to not do him any favors, but we've seen the good in him. We've seen plenty of good with him. All right, so that's it. Let's uh, stop sharing the screen and get back to our mugly faces. <laughs> get it, mug? That's yeah, a, there you go. See, my coffee's running out, so and it's not doing, like I said. And I still got to shovel snow. And Yeah, we got about five to eight inches here in Chicago, Oof. maybe more. So uh, that's all me right there for this afternoon. It's still snowing, by the way, so I'm not... Yeah. Have fun with that. No, I will not have fun with that. <laughs> but in the meantime, I had fun. Uh, thank you to Jameis for joining us today. I really appreciate him uh, uh, stopping by and uh, giving us a unique perspective. He is a, like you mentioned, he is a Rays fan. He also uh, covers baseball for his uh, uh, website. Uh, you, he'll share and he'll let you know the, the uh, name of the website. Um, uh, this, sorry. Yeah. Like this headache is just like doing numbers on me. I do apologize. Like usually I'm more enthusiastic about this, but uh, let's get the uh, other shows out the way. Dong city, Monday nights, uh, Vince and Henry made cameo appearances today on the comments section. So I appreciate them uh, joining and stopping by. Uh, Tuesday is the Audible, who, I don't know, last I checked, there's a big game going on next week. Uh, you ever hear about that, Sean? No, I, I haven't heard about that. Uh, maybe we should check in with them. Yeah, uh, I'll let them. Uh, maybe it's some sort of... Uh, oh, and a big a, trade, too, from what I heard. Bowl game. Yeah, Stafford and uh, Matt Stafford and Jerry Goff and a bunch of uh, draft picks. I'm pretty sure they'll be talking about that. And um, I mean, seems like it's an upgrade for the Rams, right? But they gave up a lot to get yeah. Stafford. And uh, they're going to... It sounds like they're going and to... To get out of that contract. Yeah, and there you go. And it sounds like they're going to go ahead and just uh, uh, finish out the two-year contract that Stafford has remaining, and yep. see where the chips might fall because that team is very, very talented to not uh, have a trophy in their case already. Uh, where are we? Wednesday, the step back with Jacob and uh, Leon. Uh, you saw Jacob earlier today in the uh, comments, so I appreciate him always showing up. Uh, Thursday night, you mentioned the Work Shoot podcast. We talked a little bit about wrestling. Well. I'm not sure if I'm watching the Royal Rumble today as uh, I got snow to plow and I really haven't been watching a lot of wrestling since the pandemic started. As uh, I don't know about you, Sean, but it's just wrestling's not the same without the crowd is what I learned this past yeah. year. It's just That's not the tough. same. And then uh, we come back Sunday mornings. We start your uh, podcast week here in the Life Group uh, Facebook groups. Feel free to wa- uh, join the other Facebook groups as well. For Sean, I am Felipe. We will be back here next weekend. Have a good one, everybody.